Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is April the 8th of 2022. We are recording this in the mid-morning during uh, uh, Indiana time, that is. I know people listen from and watch from all around. We thank you for joining us. Once again, it's our weekly podcast. Most weeks we do it. And uh, we uh, at Chapter 49 and NTEU, we represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. And I welcome once again Duncan Giles, our chapter president. You know, I have to do this right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing two or three things at once, so I always do something wrong. So instead of music, we do have Duncan Giles. Good to have you back. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. And I'm not sure if I'm better than the music or not, but we'll give it a shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been a very good dial twiddler, and I've been twiddling dials. Sometimes I do the... I'm not old enough to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there's more than one way to twiddle. I, I agree. <laughs> but we hope you're having a, a very good week, a good day today. I did notice something, Duncan. You know, we're supposed to get some snow here in central Indiana, which happens occasionally in early April. But I just saw something on one of the weather websites that, like the northern tier, like the Great Plains area, it may get a blizzard next week. This is not right. No, as I like to say in this type of weather, go home, Mother Nature, you're drunk. <laughs> um, you know, it goes from blizzard to 70 degrees to 30 degrees. You know, it's it's just nuts. Well, let's get to uh, our many issues today. We had a very big news story break the night before we record this. It, had, it, uh, it actually, the news broke late in the day on April 7th. We talked just last week, in fact, about this, that we have been waiting on an appeals court decision in the southern part of the United States, the appeals court located in New Orleans, Louisiana. It all had to do with a vaccination mandate. Just a little background. There was a judge in Texas that uh, basically said that the uh, Biden administration's vaccine mandate for federal workers was illegal and basically stopped it nationwide. So even though there was discipline in the process, reasonable accommodations were being considered, all that all stopped as a result of that decision. It was Even though it was just one district court judge in, in Texas, he wrote the decision to, to basically apply to the entire United States. So after that happened, the Biden administration went in for a, a very quick decision. That didn't happen. Now, appeals courts have several judges, like 16, 17 judges. Most of the appeals courts do. But when uh, a matter is first adjudicated within an appeals court, there's normally three judge, a three-judge panel that makes the decision. It's either uh, one of the senior judges that appoints them or it's just a rotational thing. Though there were three judges that had this under consideration. They had taken all the written arguments. They had oral arguments some weeks ago. And finally, the decision came out on Thursday night, uh, August, August, I wish it were, <laughs> we'd be warmer, April 7th. <laughs> it was on April 7th of 2022 when we received that decision. So, Duncan, um, tell us what we know about that decision right now. Yeah, basically, as you said, by a two-to-one margin, the three-judge court uh, ruled that the uh, court in Texas did, in fact, err by saying that it uh, was illegal, that they did do an injunction, um, they remanded it down back down to that Texas court with instructions for them to dismiss this case. Um, the court held basically the majority held that it needed to go through the MSPB, the Merit System Protection Board, 
before it went through the judicial process. So now it comes to uh, the, the next step is going to be for this group that filed this. Are they going to continue to either appeal it to the full court of appeals uh, there or go to the Supreme Court where they may or may not be heard? Um, so in the meantime, we get to wait now and see what the Biden administration reaction is going to be to this. Is it going to be OK? Full speed back ahead. Is it going to be modified? Are they going to change anything? At this point, we don't know. All we know is that this has been overturned. The ruling from the judge in Texas has been overturned. So potentially, it can go back to the, as you stated before, where they were, the imposition, the start of uh, discipline, the you know reviewing of reasonable accommodations and things of that nature. Well, let's talk a little more about that because we don't have all the answers, as you mentioned, but let's just talk about what could happen. Uh, and I think you touched on something we need to remind people about here is that there is a workforce, a safer workforce group in the White House that is putting out the basic information that the agencies are supposed to, to use in order to, to do the nuts and bolts of making all these uh, issues work on, on the ground floor, if you will. And, and one example of that would be the discipline. There were a lot of discipline cases that were pending. You know, there was a vaccination, vaccination mandate. And if you did not comply with that mandate, then there was discipline that was proposed for not a large number. But when you know, even if you have 90, 98 percent of compliance, you still got at an agency the size of IRS, hundreds or thousands of people who were getting these discipline notices. Uh, they were all just held in abeyance. So it's going to be very important what the Safer Workforce Group in the White House has to say about this. Will this discipline now move forward again with this court decision? Or will there be a, uh, will they maintain this, this uh, interregnum, if you will, as we wait to see whether or not uh, uh, the people who filed this lawsuit against uh, the administration, they still have the option of appealing to the full court. This is the three-judge panel that made this decision. These people have the right to, to appeal to the entire uh, appeals court. I'm not sure if the appeals court has to hear that. And then the Supreme Court, they only take a small number of cases ever presented to them. Uh, and if the Supreme Court were to take the case, it would be next year before there was a decision. So there's a, there's a lot unknown. So if you have discipline pending, we really don't have a lot of specific answers at this point, do we? No, we certainly don't. Uh, I would tell anyone that has uh, gotten vaccinated in the meantime uh, to make sure that your status is updated in HR Connect, because that's what the IRS looks at. Um, if you have put in a reasonable accommodation, those were basically frozen. I would assume, big, big uh, thinking on my part, that the administration, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, who uh, basically is the overseer of all the federal agencies, had a plan in place for either way the decision went. And I would hope that there is a decision that they've got now uh, that they're ready to work with and move forward on however they're going to do it. We just don't know at this point, but I would advise anybody, you know, the same advice I've had since this started COVID has not gone away folks. It's mutated. It is not as deadly because we're getting more and more people 
that have um, been immunized by it and gotten the boosters as needed, but it's not gone away. And it's still a danger to your health. And if you don't think I'm correct, take a look at what's going on across the planet right now. And they're still battling large swaths of issues with COVID, the way it mutates. And it could be coming here and hitting again. And I don't want anybody else to get sick or much less pass or have any relatives or friends do that. So I urge folks to get vaccinated. Um, I'm not a mandate fan, but I understand why it was put in place. But we just need to be ready for whatever decision that comes out uh, via the safer workforce and then is enforced by OPM and down to the IRS. Let me just say one more word about this before we move on, and that has to do with reasonable accommodations. You and I had wondered how that was going to be done, and it was frozen, as you mentioned, uh, while this court case was working its way through the courts. Well, now that we have an appeals court decision saying that uh, the vaccine mandate, in fact, is legal, and if you have a pending reasonable accommodation, that would be going back several months when that was put in, uh, I think we need to just let people know that we don't know what's going to happen next. Last I heard, there were several thousand that were still pending at the IRS alone. Uh, So we're still waiting to see what uh, comes next on that as well, just to be clear about it. Absolutely. Our folks in uh, what's called EDI, um, our diversity folks in inclusion, um, our equity, diversity and inclusion, are the ones that do the initial review on that. So they may reach out to you, ask for further information, or they may not. We just don't know at this point, but those are the possibilities that they could be ready to make recommendations when they were frozen. They could still need more information. It's a case-by-case basis. But as of this moment in time, when we're recording this, there isn't any specific guidance that has come out that we're aware of uh, about how the um, the government, much less the IRS, is going to proceed. And we'll try to keep you up to date on our Facebook page, which you can find NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. And we're moving that to another location for reasons we can't really fully explain. It has to do with Meta and Facebook. <laughs> and uh, we've tried to explain. I've tried to figure it out. But I, I had to move this to another location because there, uh, Meta is about to disable the old account. And we had hundreds of people who followed or liked that page. So we need to let people know. And I'm going to send a, a message to Duncan with the link. He's going to try to move that out. And in the next few days, that whole that old account's going to be disabled. I hate to have to do that. But, but I just want you to know that we'll continue to update you minute by minute, literally, on your Facebook uh, news feed using that. So we will still use that just to be aware. Some of you have already signed up for the new one, but uh, we'll have Duncan uh, make sure that word gets out. And I will once again on the old account uh, provide to you the link to the new place where our our Facebook page, and it's very popular. We like that. We just want to make sure people get to the the new uh, Facebook account that we had to do because of circumstances beyond our control. Let's go back to something yeah, else. That'll be a moving target for Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can never keep track of Mark Zuckerberg. I think he's still got that little, I think he's still got that headset, that uh, virtual reality headset on. I don't think he's taking it off for a while. 
All right, let's talk about COVID testing. We mentioned this last time we got together. Um, the COVID testing regime is another part of all this and is somewhat tied to return to office um, and has some impact. The vaccine mandate has kind of a tangential issue on that. Uh, we're still waiting because we want to return to the office soon. The, uh, the the notifications are starting to go out on the 30-day notice, but we still don't know how people are going to be tested in the workplace, who will be tested, how often, how it's going to work. We have some general information on that. Uh, we are hoping to get more details soon, but is there anything we know at the moment that you can talk about right now? Uh, it's just basically bits and pieces out there. One of the things that I hope that the um, that the IRS takes into consideration is the fact that the CDC no longer uses the term or hasn't used the term um, fully vaccinated. They use the term up to date. And basically what that means is, is if you haven't had a booster shot, you're not considered, quote, up to date by the CDC. Now, does that mean that people who've been vaccinated but not boosted are going to be part of the testing? Or is this going to be just the folks who have not been vaccinated at all or partially vaccinated? It, it's, there's a lot of unanswered questions out there. Um, from uh, my source, who is highly knowledgeable in uh, research in this type of area, um, shout out to my girlfriend, Kim. Um, it's, it's one of those things that if you've been vaccinated, had the, uh, two vaccinated shots, but haven't been boosted, then, you know, you're as susceptible, darn near susceptible after several months as someone who has not had any vaccinations. So in the interest of making sure that employees are going to be safe when they return to the workplace, um, I would hope that they are going to take a look at something like that in their testing measures. But as of right now, we just don't know. Yes. And, uh, the second booster, you have to be over 50. You know, I just barely qualified Duncan. Just over. <laughs> just over. Yeah. It's a little more than just over, uh, age. Just 50. a bit outside. And, as Bob Uecker would Bob Uecker. Well, yes. The, the, if you haven't seen the, the first movie, uh, major league, you have to do that. That's, that's a great film. That's a really good Bob Uecker was one of the great, uh, he didn't have a big part, but he still, you remember him from that film just a bit outside. If you see the movie, you'll know what we're talking about. So uh, the testing, we will we'll let you know more about that. Duncan will also, I'm sure, do everything he can to get that word out once we have more details on, on testing from the management. Let me move on to return to office. We've already uh, talked about that sort of uh, tangentially with the other issues we've discussed. But there's uh, the return to office is moving. The 30-day notices are coming out. And uh, by the end of June, people uh, should be at work, uh, uh, at least the, the uh, evacuation order will be lifted for all IRS employees by the end of June. On this return to office, and we, Duncan and I have talked about this numerous times on this podcast, that this is going to uh, result in a big change in how uh, telework is done. So now people who had, had not been on telework before the evacuation order but either are eligible now or want to start doing it now, even if they were eligible before and after, may not have that uh, telework agreement in place. Uh, people are starting to submit these, but uh, what's happening with 
what employees are being told when these telework agreements are being submitted to the management. Yeah, I'm really feeling for first and second line management because from what I'm hearing from across divisions, they're being given very little, if no guidance on this. You have 20 work days from the time that a telework agreement is submitted to the manager for management to respond. Yay, nay, need more information, whatever. Um, and if management doesn't get guidance on this, if your manager doesn't get guidance on this, they have no idea what to do. And it's incredibly frustrating to me that, you know, they've talked about doing telework. And most recently I got an answer from someone about a group of folks that have put in for their telework that said, well, you know, we're still screening for disciplinary actions to make sure that they're telework eligible. Okay. That should have taken place a hell of a lot of long time ago. This shouldn't be something that's a surprise to them. They should have had this done already. So we don't need the excuses. We need the folks that have put in their telework agreements that should be teleworking to be able to do so. The second part of this that I've heard that, again, frustrates me to no end is, well, you're not on the list for telework um, for frequent telework, therefore, you're not going to be able to frequent telework. You're not one of the specified positions. And that is bunk, to put it politely. I won't use the term malarkey this time. I'll use bunk. Um, because of the fact that in the agreement, and this has been in the agreement for several agreements, that if you can show that your position is one that can do frequent telework without adding additional burden to any other employee management or a detriment to the service, then even if your, your position is not specifically listed, you can do that work frequently. And I'm thinking like um, right off the top of my head, clericals in call sites, in remote call sites who don't deal with mail. You know, they've been doing their work from their residence or from their telework location for a couple of years now. And to say that they can't do this work because of the fact that, you know, they're not listed is absolutely insane and contrary to what the spirit of the agreement is. And I'm sure I know chapter 49 and I'm sure chapters across the country will defend that right vigorously for their members out there. So just to be clear about this, if you put in a telework agreement request and the management comes back and says, well, you're not on the list, uh, request denied, that's when you need to talk to your local chapter. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's a section right after that um, that deals specifically with what I just said. Uh, we know it well. It's It's been in the agreement for a while. And you know, sometimes we have to point out things to management at every level, and this would be one of those times. So if you're able to do your work, again, you're not having to do create, nobody's creating work for you to take home. Your work is inherently portable that you can do from home, that you're not having to do mail or send stuff out or check on anything in person. There's no reason for you not to be able to do frequent telework where you're only having to go in at least twice a pay period. 
So, and it's interesting because what if the management comes <clears throat> back and says, well, we've seen that uh, that contract language. We still don't think your job is the kind that uh, telework would work mm-hmm. well. Um, then you should talk to your local chapter in that case as well. Absolutely. Then we're more than happy to embarrass them with grievances uh, at every level and, uh, you know, very potentially arbitration if needed. Yeah, and I think if you've been doing this on the evacuation order for almost two years and people say that your job is not acclimated to telework, I think the management's going to have a tough job making that argument. Yeah, they're they're going to look really, really good in front of an arbitrator who's going to be looking at them like they have three heads. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, let's talk about something we touched on uh, last time. We talked about state taxes, and basically we had a question come up on on state tax compliance, and our basic message there was talk to your state agencies, tax agencies wherever you live, because state taxes can be very complex. I can tell you that after having worked for TurboTax one tax season on the phones for them and dealing with the various state tax issues that come up, you really need to get guidance specified by people who know what they're talking about. But we're now getting toward the tax deadline. The federal tax deadline is is going to be April 18th this year. Uh, that annual reminder that as an IRS employee, you are expected to file your tax return on time and to pay your taxes on time. Yep, and that's that's one of the, what we like to call the seven deadly sins from uh, Section 1203 that took place, uh, you know, over 25 years ago. You know, if you are, you know, older employees, seasoned employees, I shouldn't say older, seasoned employees um, know this very well, but for newer folks that may be hearing this, make sure that you pay, file your taxes on time at the very least, file them by the 18th. If you all possible, pay them in full at that time. If you can't do an installment agreement, if you need to, or an extension of, uh, you know, time to pay, but make sure that you do are in compliance as much as possible with the um, with the tax laws. We don't want anybody across the country. We our chapters don't want to have to defend you for this type of thing. This is a burden that most other federal employees don't have, but we, as the IRS, as the tax collection agency, do have. We have to file and pay our taxes on time. So this is just a gentle nudge, reminder, whatever you want to call it, to make sure that you get that done. Next week, it'll be a little more urgent. But this week, it's just the gentle nudge. Yeah, just now start thinking about it. Now, I would have to say in my time working as a union official representing employees and uh, my years, uh, six years or so on the side of being a manager, dealing with tax compliance issues, either with one of my own employees or with someone I was representing as a union official, Always difficult situation. Don't get yourself into that situation, please. I think that's the that's the message we're giving, right, Duncan? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about something we don't like to talk about. But, you know, we talked about the appeals court taking its time and making a decision on the vaccine mandate. But even with some of our internal systems, for instance, when we have grievance procedures that go through the system, uh, there's it takes time and the more complex the issue the more time it takes and one example was a question that was presented to you by an estate and gift attorney about uh 
an action the uh, the IRS was was planning on taking to move estate and gift audits away from attorneys and to what are called legal specialists. Uh, NTU has has filed a grievance on this. That grievance is still in process. It's taken a long time. And uh, when you checked on it, you found out it's still going now. Just an example of how sometimes the wheels uh, turn slowly on these issues. Yeah, grievances, especially when they're contested, um, when one side or both dig in their heels on them, can take a very long time to go through the process. Um, And then when you get it to arbitration, it takes even much longer. And this is especially true of uh, nationwide grievances, when they call them national grievances. And this, uh, this particular case, just an example, the IRS unilaterally decided to say, okay, you know what, those folks in the state and gift, because we want all our attorneys to be in counsel, we're not going to call you attorneys anymore. We're going to call you legal specialists, which as far as I'm concerned, is just like taking the white glove off and slapping attorneys across the face in a state and gift and saying, yeah, we don't think you're worthy of being called attorneys anymore. I don't think the IRS had any idea how insulting they were being to these folks. So they were, as, you know, as they should be, they were rightfully upset. And um, national IRS, national NTU filed a grievance with national IRS. And it takes a long time for these to process. It's not that that's forgotten. It's not that it's on the back burner. But when you do a national grievance, and especially if it has to go to arbitration, between finding an arbitration date, doing the arbitration, doing the post briefs, the arbitrator taking their decision. We're talking at the very least several months and, you know, very possibly a year, year and a half from the start to resolution. So it's just a process that is there for us to use. We use it sparingly just because it can take so long. We usually try and get things worked out. Sometimes they can't, it's like in this case. Um, but if, if we're working an issue as a, uh, as a chapter, any local chapter, or as a um, national NTU working an issue, don't ever feel that it's being ignored. It's just this process is cumbersome and very time-consuming, and it's just going to take a while to get it resolved, more than any of us would like. I'll tell you, the people who were happiest about this move by the service were people in the private sector representing large estates. They don't have to deal with attorneys necessarily anymore from the IRS. I can tell you, I knew, I've knew i known a lot of estate and gift attorneys over my, my time, and uh, they all know what they're doing. Not to saying that a legal specialist wouldn't, it, but I think uh, the private sector would rather deal with a legal specialist than an attorney, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, that's that's the thing, too, is the they're still they're calling these attorneys legal specialists as you know just basically okay we're not going to grandfather you in as attorneys and then hire what's quote unquote legal specialists we're going to call these attorneys legal specialists which is just insulting yeah so they're not saying that they'll stop having attorneys hired to represent the uh, government in these estate and gift cases we're just changing the way we describe the, the job right yeah yeah Okay, that's even that. I think you're right. That is an insulting thing to do for people who are attorneys. We do have one last issue I want to talk about. We've discussed this previously, but I want to dig a little further into it this time. 
Duncan, I'm going to just give you a quick overview on this and to people watching and listening. I want to get your take on it. Uh, I've been reading an awful lot about these this, this new family of, of mutual funds that will be offered to TSP uh, participants, to thrift savings plan participants. Just as you, as you should know this, the old TSP accounts are still going to be there. They're still very, very low fees. The fees are so low you can't find fees that low in the private sector, to be honest with you. But uh, because people have asked for more options, there's going to be another set of mutual funds which are professionally managed. They're not index funds. They're professionally managed. As a result of that, there will be higher fees if you choose that section of the TSP. And there are a lot of other limitations on it. I was reading a, a an article on the FedSmith website by a financial advisor who knows something about this. His name is Justin Holtz. And he makes a, he listed some very important items, and I've seen this written elsewhere also. So I think this is very accurate. There's the things you need to know about these new uh, mutual funds that will be actively managed as, a, as, as opposed to the old funds, which were basically index funds tracking certain things, which are very low fee. If you want these new as these new mutual funds, uh, this new group. First of all, you can only have up to 25% of your entire balance of your thrift savings plan in those funds. You also have to have a minimum of $40,000 in your account to move money into this, this new set of funds. And you have to transfer a minimum of 10000 of that uh, to make an initial transfer to this new window of funds. Plus, every time you make a trade, move things around yourself in, within those funds or, may, or move uh, from the, the regular into the new one, it's $28.75 fee for every trade that you make, not within the full funds, but the managed, but everyone you initiate within your TSP account. Also, there's a very complicated process you'll have to go through if you want to get your money in and out of that window. I, it's so complicated, I can't even really summarize it here. Also, if you go into these new funds, you've got at least $150 every year for a maintenance fund that's just to administer the funds, and, and you're paying some of the uh, the fund managers, but they're actually paid within the funds as well. So there are other fees, but that's a minimum fee every year for being in that family of funds. Uh, also, um, it's limited to actively managed funds. You, now those are the only ones that will be in this new group. And you have to sign a disclosure statement on all the risks involved and the fees you're going to have to pay. Now, some people will find that these actively managed funds will make so much money for you. All these fees are worth it. But you still have the risk of loss, and you still have the option of keeping your TSP in the old set of funds where you don't have any of these fees. So I think it's important to know what you're getting into. I'm not saying don't do it, because there will be more risk involved. That risk may be well worth it to you. But uh, it is something you need to know going in with your eyes open. So any comments uh, from Duncan Giles on that? Uh, first off, I think you summarized it wonderfully. Um, it is one of those things where if you like the thrift savings plan as is, you can keep it within those family of funds that are currently offered, and you will still have that very low administrative cost. But if you want to be more adventurous with your money, you do have that option, which are a lot of people have been clamoring for over the years. Um, it is going to be a personal preference for everybody. My whole thing with the TSP is, you know, at least contribute 5% of your salary 
because you get a matching 5%. And I don't know anywhere else you're going to get 100% on your money. But as to, you know, moving it into this new system, because of these costs and fees, I would make sure that you're very certain that you want to do this because you're going to have um, a bigger nut to cover, so to speak, um, to be able to make more money in this than you would in the funds as they are now. So go, go at your own risk, go at your own speed, and just make sure that you do your research before you jump and do anything in this regard. So our time's about up. In fact, we're a little over time. Uh, final comment from Duncan Giles. Yeah, I got, I've got two. First off, um, you know, I, my heart still goes out to the people of Ukraine who are still, still putting up a wonderful fight against, uh, against a totalitarian government that just wants to swallow them up. And I, I can't say enough for those folks, the job they're doing and what they're having to deal with. And secondly, I know there's a lot of anxiety out there uh, among uh, a large number of employees about coming back into the office. I understand that. You know, it's it's natural to have this. It's social anxiety because you've been in the situation where you've been in your cocoon, your bubble, whatever you want to call it for the most part, for a long period of time. And now you've got the fear of the unknown as COVID zooming back up what's going to be happening, how, you know, how am I going to interact with other people, things of that nature. Um, I'm a huge believer in mental health. Got a, uh, a wonderful daughter who is a mental health counselor. And, you know, she would give you the same advice I'm about to. Always seek out someone to talk to about this. If it's really hurting you, if it's becoming an overpowering feeling, things of that nature. Uh, you know, we have facilities here within the government to uh, to help you with this, you can get uh, free counseling, someone to talk to about this. Um, you know, but it's something that all chapters across the country in NTU want to make sure that you're coming back to a safest environment as possible. And national NTU is uh, with that uh, wholeheartedly with that, and most of management is as well. So just you know, understand that your anxiety is understandable; it is real. And, you know, through things like the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, we can get you the help um, to get you through this. And, Duncan, I want to thank you for those comments. And I do think that people need to be aware of the fact that uh, there's, there's going to be some some painful points as uh, as you go back to, into the office after almost two, what was it, almost two years, more than two years in some cases of working out of your home or telework location, wherever that might be. Uh, and I, I think it might be a good um, approach to think about. Maybe it's a good thing you're going to be back with coworkers again and that you'll have a chance to interact with people with whom you work uh, in a personal way. I mean, you're doing it with, with the, the online meetings, the video meetings, conference calls. But maybe getting back together will be a good thing. I think uh, hopefully that will be the case. But if you have trouble adapting to that and it is a change we as human beings don't like massive changes all the time uh find a way to make sure you get the help you need and uh, in the end we hope it all works out well we hope that covid continues to be contained we are concerned about this new variant but uh and i, I echo duncan's uh sentiments about the people who live in in ukraine they're undergoing some some pretty horrible 
um, conditions at this moment, uh, a war they did not ask for. And uh, now they're having uh, to deal with it and are doing some very heroic things. So, Duncan, thank you very much. We thank you for watching and listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. We are a weekly podcast, and we try to uh, make it as weekly as we can. And if you would like to have a link to our video and or audio versions of this, all you have to do is send an email to Duncan Giles, and you can get to him through the internal email system of IRS, or just send an email, nteu49 at aol.com, and he'll put you on the list to uh, get these links every week that we uh, do this podcast. So once again, great to have you with us. Please be safe and be kind. Be kind.